But the level of teamwork, I mean, it, it's become such a tight-knit um, emotional support system for people who go through ups and downs. And they they come to work, not only to work, but to see their friends and talk about their problems and have a support system. And that camaraderie and teamwork is invaluable as you go through life's challenges that we are right now. To be able to have that, I think really makes people say, I want to stay and work for this company. Welcome back, rock stars, and thank you for tuning in to this episode. You know, I'm speaking today with a real operator's operator, someone that really inspires me in the way they approach their business. Now, Mr. James J. King is the CEO and founder of Titan Hospitality Group, operating a series of world-class, beautiful restaurants in the mid-Atlantic region here in the country. And we're going to be talking all about company culture and mission and staff onboarding and training, what that word hospitality really means, promotion from within, getting the most out of your people, and what it takes to grow from one successful restaurant to several successful restaurants. Obviously, it's attention to detail. It is that hands-on nature and approach to the business, and it's really empowering your people to rise to the challenge and be their best. There are so many best practices in this episode. I can't wait to share it, so listen on. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Everyone knows that Smithfield Culinary has a full line of great ready-to-cook to ready-to-eat products from Smithfield and Margarita. But what else is cooking? Tap into the latest culinary trends and get inspired with new recipes created by real working chefs from across the country. Bring more to the table with flavors and new menu ideas your guests will savor. Visit smithfieldculinary.com or follow at smithfieldculinary on social media. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and our mission here is to enable restaurants to run more profitable, more successful operations, but more importantly, rediscover the passion and the pride that you have for this industry and for your operation. The pandemic has set everything sideways, and now's the time to rediscover that passion and pride to dig deep, get resourceful, and to run really strong restaurants. With me today, I'm really excited, is Mr. James J. King. He is the founder and the CEO of Titan Hospitality Group, world-class restaurant group in the mid-Atlantic region of this country. Welcome to the show, James. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you here. Now, hospitality, we're going to talk all about what that means, but let's start with where it all began for you. And I understand age 14, you got into this business and you've had quite a career since that time. So take us through it all. Sure. I uh, you know, started out <clears throat> like many restaurant owners um, in the business. I started washing dishes when I was 14 years old. I worked for a gentleman in Washington, D.C. who owned four restaurants and was looking for a summer job and, uh, you know, kind of dove in head first. And while not the, you know, most romantic and sexy job in the world, I loved it. I love the high paced um, speed of the industry, uh, meeting new people, the hustle and bustle of the kitchen. Um, and I just fell in love with the industry. And from there, I just kind of moved my way up. The next summer, I was a busboy and a food runner. Uh, and then eventually started waiting tables. And then I got behind the bar. Um, and then got into management and over the, 
years just kind of ascended and finally got to a point where I'd been working, uh, you know, 70 hour weeks for other people all my life and decided it was time to try for myself and, and dove into the, to the first restaurant of ownership. Um, but really worked every level on the way up to fully understand and see how the business operated and worked and, and have empathy for every single position in the restaurant. Cause it truly is a team effort. No question about it. Now that's quite a story. You know, we have a similar background. I started my very first job at a private country club as a dishwasher, and I would agree with you. There was a there was a teamwork, a chemistry, a fun about working there. And sure, it was not a glamorous job, hot little back room, you know, with the dish machine and the steam and all that kind of stuff and scrubbing the pots. But just that camaraderie of the kitchen, just, I don't know, it ignited something in me. And then I was very quickly promoted to bartender. So quite a step up from dishwasher to bartender. But that's literally where the word hospitality, you know, first became known to me. And it was a private club. The members had very high expectations of service. And I guess they just recognized something special in me. And I, I knew instantly that it wasn't just about the money I was making because they were throwing $10 bills at me left and right if I delivered that great service. But it was all about caring. It was all about, you know, treating everyone as if the most important, as if they were the most important guest. And that was my foundation of hospitality. So that word gets thrown around a lot, but it really is the foundation of our business. Do you have a specific definition of hospitality? What does that word mean to you, James? So, you know, we have a, a kind of saying here at Titan Hospitality is, is our ultimate goal um, is to change the way people think about dining out at restaurants. So, Yes, it's a meal. Yes, it's substance. It's food. Um, but it's more than that to us. We want to open our doors and have people walk through them and feel like they truly are coming into our living room, into our home. Um, we're going to wait on them hand and foot. We're going to cater to their every need. And ultimately, when they walk out, we want them wanting more and saying, you know, we have so many options out there. But when we go into these establishments, we truly feel like it's a family that's taking care of us, not just the server or the bartender, but the manager coming over to do a table visit, checking on them, seeing how everything is. The host is smiling when they walk through the door and also thanking them when they walk out. So we really try to give that total dining experience from start to finish. And as I said, make people, when they walk out the door, want to come back and feel that special feeling again. That's exactly what it's about. That's beautiful. Food is, you know, the universal language. It brings different people, different cultures, different races together. And it's what we all share, breaking bread and special occasions and all those things. And it really is hospitality driven. Now, before we get into too much about Titan, let's talk a little bit about you're a busy guy, obviously. You know, you're really hands on as a leader. Um, Obviously, that's very, very important to set the tone and set the culture in a restaurant. But in your spare time, do you have certain passions or the things that you do? Do you play golf? Do you go skiing? Do you spend family time? What do you do when you have free time? Yeah, so most of my free time is spent in my garden, believe it or not. And it's okay. something that I picked up later in life. Yeah. Um, I was actually an elected official representing a district here in Maryland and spent a lot of time between politics and the restaurant business up in the morning, at breakfast, out in the evening. Um, and when I kind of transitioned into a full time focusing on growing my businesses and getting away from the political scene, I found that gardening was the one thing that truly made me feel 
um, at peace and I turn the phone off and I listen to music. Um, and so early in the morning, even late in the evenings, I've got spotlights in my garden. My neighbors probably think I'm crazy, um, but that's when I have time to get out and do stuff there. Um, and so that's become a passion of mine, um, which obviously ties into the restaurant business, but um, it's therapeutic for me, kind of watching something grow similar to a business um, all the way up to, you know, the tiniest seedling and then and then watching it mature and taking care of it and nurturing it and watching it grow into a full plant that produces great things. Um, and so to me, I guess it's metaphoric, but that's where you'll find me. If I'm, if I'm not at one of the restaurants or in my office, I'm typically in my garden trying to get my eight-year-old involved, which is proving to be harder than I thought it would, but uh, he's not quite uh, where I am with it, but hopefully one day he will be. He likes the end product where he gets to pick it all and go eat it, but not so much the, the process to get it there. I was going to ask you if you had vegetable gardens or floral gardens or both. So everything we do, we oh, do, do fruit, we do vegetables. Nice. Uh, we have a chicken coop. So we have kind of a little ecosystem going with the chickens who are, we're getting fresh eggs from, and then we're using their, um, you know, waste into the garden as fertilizer. And so we've created a kind of a cool little ecosystem. <laughs> My wife brought chickens home about two years ago, and that lasted only so long. A couple of them got eaten by foxes and then it was all over from there, but I get it. Do you it's use It's harder any... to protect them and keep them alive than it is to take care of them. I know it's true. Does any of those vegetables make their way into your restaurants? They all do. A lot of them do. So I tend to, um, to over plant, um, you know, it's one of those things that at the beginning of the season, you know, you, you think yourself, well, I want all this stuff. And then you realize when it all comes up, you can't eat 400 cucumbers. So we, um, we bring a ton of it into the um, into the restaurants, and my executive chefs love it, and they make daily specials out of it. And so, I'd say about half of my yield makes it into the restaurants. All right, that's great. Let's talk about how you came to found Titan Hospitality Group because it's a process to start one restaurant, make it successful, grow it into a chain, grow it into different concepts, build a team of people. It takes obviously capital, it takes investors, it takes all types of things. How did your restaurant group come to be and what was the growth trajectory of that? Did it take years? Did it start with one concept? Did you do multiple concepts simultaneously after a while? I mean, there's so much meat to that. Yeah. So, you know, we had, I, I started one with one restaurant and um, I, going back to my comment about kind of knowing it was time for me to work for myself and and I hired a restaurant broker and I said, look, I'd love to be in Washington, D.C. where I grew up, but rents are so high. I'm willing to get out to the suburbs and expand and see what's out there in the region. And, and I and I fell in a place uh, just outside of Annapolis, Maryland, that I fell in love with uh, and was able to sell my home, borrow money from every relative that I had, every high school friend, every college friend, um, and and make an offer and actually make a deal um, come through. And, and from that point forward, I spent probably about three years, just working 18 hour days, um, living, sleeping, breathing at the restaurant and giving it everything I had. I was fortunate uh, enough to, to make it relatively successful um, and partnered with another gentleman to open our second restaurant uh, in downtown Annapolis, which is a fine dining seafood restaurant. Um, and from there, um, having two successful restaurants and splitting time, I started to realize I didn't want to grow, but I didn't have the infrastructure to do it. I, I didn't have the people. I couldn't be everywhere at once. Um, and so I started thinking about uh, if I do want to continue on a growth trajectory, 
what do I need to do from an infrastructure standpoint to be able to be successful? Um, and I really went back to my core values and principles of culture. And what did I want to create? And I had worked in restaurants growing up where I absolutely loved the people. I loved the ownership. I would have done anything for them. If they called me on my day off, I would have come in. If they needed me to stay late to clean, I would have done so. And I also worked for restaurants where I was miserable and I hated it. I just, I wasn't happy. Um, there wasn't that teamwork and that camaraderie. And so it was really punching in and out and getting my money and going home. And if they called me on my day off, there's no way I was answering the phone. And so I said, before we grow, I think we really need to establish what we want to grow and what's the foundation of this business going to be. And for me, it was to create the best possible workplace culture that we could to A, attract great people and B, keep those people, um, but also to instill that and foster it in all of our employees so that we really did have something to grow and had people who wanted to move up. And like I did, go from a, a bartender to a manager at a new restaurant or go from an assistant manager to a general manager or from a sous chef to a chef. So I started putting a team together of people that I worked with over the years um, and said, look, I think I'm at a point where a bank will loan me some money. Um, and that I have some investors, but I really need a team to do this. And so um, we partnered together. I brought some people on that I'd worked with, and we just started to expand and grow from there. Um, and then I bought into a franchise called the uh, Green Turtle Sports Bars. Um, and I felt that was a good way to kind of help me grow. They had some infrastructure. They had some support, some training support. And that grew into being, um, we were the largest franchisee of that of that company, we had seven units at one time um, and kind of grew in two paths. We grew in a franchise path and then we grew in an independent restaurant path. And we were trying to cover our bases. And regardless of the economy at the time, and we had some fast casual, but then we had a little bit of fine dining. We thought it was kind of recession proof and tried to grow the company that way. Diversification, um, you mean? Yeah, diversify and, and just kind of make sure, you know, and we had a little fast food. So we really had all our bases covered. And then, you know, something changed in me um, as I started to get older and, and you continue to put these hours in. And I started to really search for what made me happiest. And what made me happiest was my independent restaurants, things that I really had a touch and a feel, and I could create the menu and I could create the environment and the decor and the ambiance as opposed to following a 400 page franchise guidelines and books and things like that. So we pivoted and we decided to, to find an exit strategy from the franchise world and put all of our time, focus, resources, and energy into creating our own concepts that we had hundred percent control over and that we could baby and kind of develop and grow. Um, and so about five years ago, that was the path that we took. And now we've created three distinct, unique brands um, and we're in a growth phase now and continue to grow those brands um, and have built an incredible infrastructure. We have uh, 395 employees right now. We're a little bit seasonal, so we'll grow that to about 500 in the season um, with 12 people working out of my corporate office for marketing and human resources and culinary director and director of operations to help oversee all of the units. Restaurant owners and managers, I call this the business of a thousand details, and you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. 
Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? What exactly are your pillars of success? Now, that's a term that I'm aware of that is part of your company culture and your operating philosophy. What does that mean? And um, why is it important to your organization? So a lot of that goes back to our culture. We wanted to, instead of just hiring an employee and say, we want you to come in and wait tables for us and make money and then go home. Mm -hmm. We wanted to tell a story. We wanted our employees to buy in, to understand why they work for a company like us, what our foundational goals are and our core mission and vision. Um, and so we sat around a room with the core group and we said, well, what are the most important pillars of us to be successful for us to accomplish our goals and to really change the way people think about dining out? What are the most important kind of core pillars to the company? And culture kept coming up and, and, and over and again. And so we, we made that the largest pillar. Um, probably three times as big as every other thing. And, you know, most people, if you ask them what's most important in a restaurant, they say, well, it's the food and the service. It's hard to argue that those aren't two very important aspects of a restaurant, but we look at them actually a little bit further down the line. We think the food and the service will come if you hire the right people, build the right culture, build the right buildings with the right environment and ambiance and decor. Right. And eventually you get to the food and the service, but a lot goes into that process. So we identified 12 core pillars and it ranges from our culture, our food, our service, hiring leaders, developing leaders, uh, live entertainment, uh, plate presentation. We put these together and every new employee that comes into our company gets this chart. It's explained to them. They buy into it and they understand that they're part of a, a movement, if you will, mm. to create something unique and different as opposed to just clocking in and out and, and getting compensated for their work. That explains it perfectly. Let's talk about the pandemic that's devastated much of our industry. And you mentioned pivots before, and every restaurant that's still operating has had to pivot more than once, probably. What happened to your organization? Where are you at now? Are you back to business as usual? Has it been sort of a hybrid model of takeout only for a while and then cocktails to go and you know online ordering and all that sort of thing? Are you back to full-time dining? What are the rules in your state? How's that going? So it's been um, a nightmare for, for us, like everyone else. We feel like we've reinvented our business model a dozen times in the last two years. And we went through pretty much every phase you just mentioned. We were mandated to close by the state for a while. We were then back up at 25% capacity. Um, eventually, that went to 50% capacity. Um, at one point, we were carry-out only. Um, at one point, we were majority outdoor dining with with rented tents and things like that for right. the 
social distancing. Mm -hmm. So we went through it all about six months ago. We got back to full hundred percent capacity, normal operating hours of, of operation procedures. Um, and we are back. Our volume is back to where it was pretty much pre pandemic levels. However, our staffing levels are far below that. And, and that's the biggest challenge that we face right now. We are at about um, 85% of the staff that we would like to have. And we're out every day trying to hire. Um, but it's, 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 I tell people that a lot of people think, well, the pandemic's kind of over and everything's getting back to normal. And for our industry, we've just entered this second wave and phase of the pandemic while our doors are open and we have clientele coming in. Uh, we have this whole new set of hurdles of inflation, staffing issues, logistics, transportation, product availability. And so it's still very difficult on the industry and on the operators. Um, and, and, and from an emotional standpoint with the management team, <clears throat> I feel like, you know, they have to have become such good problem solvers and be able to think on their feet every single day. There's something that's supposed to be coming through the back door that is not. And we've got to pivot and figure out how to get through the shift without having latex gloves or asparagus or tenderloin or whatever it may be. Um, something every day will not come in and we've just learned to have to deal with that. Um, and then of course, in, with inflation, we're paying in, in some cases 30 to 40% more for the items and for the products. And in other instances, crab meat was up at $72 a pound at one point. Right, um, right. And so just had to navigate, but I feel like, you know, we are, we are back open. We are at hundred percent. We're just navigating through a whole other range of issues that we didn't have really even during the pandemic. So communication has become so important with your guests, especially with in light of all the challenges you just talked about. Okay, so obviously supply chain issues and not having availability of certain items that guests may really, really love, the rising costs to you from a food and beverage standpoint and product and supplies and everything else that goes with it. And then you obviously have to, well, many restaurants have had to raise prices just to maintain margins or at least not lose a ton of money. And then you've got the service levels that guests have come to expect now that business is booming again and restaurants are full, they're filling their seats, yet so many restaurants have to cut hours, cut days open, limited staff. We can't deliver the hospitality we've been come, you know, come to be known for. And, you know, our guests are paying higher menu prices, yet they're not getting the service. Are you seeing that in your operations? How are you dealing with that? How are you communicating with your guests? and maintaining their loyalty during these very challenging times? So that's a great question. And that's been the biggest hurdle. And, and we we spent hours as a, as a company talking about <clears throat> what the strategy was going to be. And, and certainly coming off the heels of, of the worst of the pandemic, when financially it was extremely challenging and stressful. And, you know, we owed landlords money. We owed banks money. We were, our doors were closed. We had no revenue coming in. But we made a conscious decision to say, look, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And Good what's point. most important is that we protect the brand. And so while it's very tempting to just pack everyone in here and take as much money as we can every night and not give great service and not you know, get the food quality where it might be, but at least we get some money back. 
We decided not to do that. And we said, look, if we have to close down a section, then let's do that. But let's make sure that every patron that comes in here that does get seated has a fantastic experience. And let's protect the brand for the longevity of the brand. And I'd rather have someone upset at the front door when we tell them we're on a 45-minute wait than once they do get set, have a fantastic experience, then seat them right away. Make them feel good then, but then have them walk out going, it took 45 minutes to get the food, the service was terrible, and we never got a drink. So Mm -hmm. we just tweaked our business model once again and said, look, seat the restaurant to the level of the staff that we have and be honest with the consumer and let them know at the front door that, hey, we're working with what we have. We know we're going to take great care of you once you sit down, but it's going to be a little wait for that. And that was the strategy we, we, we took and we still take to this day. And still have to slow seating down a little bit and close some sections. Um, But we think that the overwhelming positive feedback we've gotten, it's worth leaving some money on the table in the short run to protect the brand long term. I totally see that. That's, That's an excellent point. Let's talk about staffing because obviously we have the labor challenge, but you've done a particularly good job in retaining staff. Now you mentioned 300 plus employees now, which is down from high levels, but you're ramping up to 500 or so for the summer, but yet you've done well retaining staff. So what is it about your approach is the recognition rewards. I mean, we've talked about providing them with a professional work environment. Your concepts are beautiful. Your dining rooms, your buildings, everything about it is first class. And that makes people really proud to work for you. But it goes beyond that. We talked about culture, but there's more to it. You know, is it training? Is it onboarding? Is it recognition rewards or all those things? What do you do particularly well to retain your stuff? So I think it's all of that combined. I really do kind of, I, I always go back to the culture piece and there's a lot that goes into that for us. Um, it's not always monetary. Of course, we always want to be able to compensate our employees well and pay them as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we took a couple steps that I think really showed our staff how much we cared about them. Um, we paid everybody during the pandemic, regardless of whether we were opened or closed. It didn't matter. Everyone got a paycheck. Um, all of our salaried managers That was something that in hindsight, I mean, we felt it was the right thing to do, but I had no idea the impact it had when we did reopen, how loyal and dedicated our employees came back, ready to run through walls for us. They had so many friends who were laid off and not paid that they really felt they worked for a better company than others. So that, that was kind of the first step coming off the heels of the pandemic. The second thing was we, we put out a list of things that we thought we could do for our employees that would send a message and help them um, that weren't necessarily big financial things. For instance, we made a company policy that no employee ever works on their birthday. Um, If it's your birthday, you have the day off. I don't care if it's Mother's Day, Easter, you get it off. Um, And then two weeks later, we thought about and said, let's also give them their spouse's birthday off. So whatever your your birthday of your spouse is, you don't work that day either. And so we did a lot of things like that. We, um, We started offering gym memberships to any of our employees, we knew they were all stressed out and tired and that's a good way to get healthy. And so we said, anyone who wants a gym membership, we'll pay for it. Um, And so we did a host of kind of employee benefits incentives for our employees that really went a long way. And we continue to try to think outside the box on those types of things. What can we do 
that isn't going to just give someone a raise and make them feel better about their paycheck. But what can we do to show the culture in the restaurant really is one that it's a family, it's caring. Um, and, you know, what I've seen is, yes, we've had better employee retention, but the level of teamwork, I mean, it, it's become such a tight knit um, emotional support system for people who go through ups and downs and they've, they come to work, not only to work, but to see their friends and talk about their problems and have a support system. And that camaraderie and teamwork is invaluable as you go through life's challenges that we are right now to be able to have that, I think really makes people say, I want to stay and work for this company. They care about me. I care about the people there. And even if I was offered a job for a little bit more money, um, I'm not sure I'd get the same day-to-day work environment and experience. Um, And so they pass up offers because they constantly get them from Amazon and DoorDash and Grubhub and everyone else. So uh, we, we feel fortunate and, and what it's done is fueled us to keep finding ways to, to show them that they're appreciated. So they get the sense that the grass is not always greener on the other side and that they've got it pretty good with, with your organization. No question. And, and it also doesn't help where a couple have tested the waters and, and thought that the grass was greener and, and been back, back in 30 days and saying, I'll never leave you guys again. It's a mess out there. And so it's uh, that feels good in some ways, but it also, I, I, I also understand and, and have compassion for a lot of the small restaurateurs that are really struggling out there because I was one of them at one point. Right. And I, I know firsthand what they're struggling with right now. So you take care of your own, and I'm getting the sense that family is a part of your culture and your mission statement, making your staff feel like family, your guests feel like family, and that's a really powerful formula. Yeah, I think it's um, the restaurant industry is evolving, and in a lot of ways, it's evolving to be less personal with technology. And I was just at a food show in New York this weekend where there are all these robots that are delivering food, and, and, I, and I feel like um, I've seen those. I get it. Yeah, you know, in some ways, maybe for some um, concepts that works, but I think you know the 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 speed of the touchscreens and the technology and everything that's happening. We still want to be that place where you can come in and get a real person talking to you about our wine list and talking to you about the chef specials, um, and being that front facing, outward, communicative team that you can always come to one of our restaurants and you're not going to have a waiter on the machine at the right at the table. And there's not going to be a robot that's going to bring you the food. We're still going to be real people that care about you that want to know your story and thank you for coming in every day. So the personality of staff are super important because they're making friends with guests on a daily basis and giving them many reasons to come back again and then share that word on positive online reviews and social media. There's a formula there that is as much a part of brand building and marketing as anything. The staff are brand ambassadors for your business if they're trained to be brand ambassadors for the business. So I'm, I'm hearing that that is part of that philosophy also. People take pride in what they're doing. They enjoy meeting the public. They have a true desire to serve the public because otherwise, if you don't, you really don't belong in this business, right? Because that is everyone works for a paycheck, but there's a motivation behind that. There's a pride and a passion that we talked about. So that's that's wonderful. Can you speak to what your onboarding is when you hire somebody new and how you in you know you assimilate them into the organization, you get them up to speed, and then you share your philosophies, you share their training, and then do they shadow veterans? Is that part of it too? Like tell me all about the onboarding process. Sure. So it starts on day one with an orientation, which is about two hours. 
Um, and that's when we unveil our culture handbook, um, the pillars of success. Um, and we really spend more time talking about who we are as a company and our philosophies um, and about behavior and expected behavior than we do about any of the technical stuff about the job. It really, the first two hour orientation is about who we are and who we expect you to be. From that point, um, they go into one of our units and our training varies anywhere from 10 to 14 to 21 days, depending on your level of experience, um, the position that you're coming in to do, um, and a little bit of, of monitoring as we go through. Um, and they get a book and it's a binder and it kind of goes through the steps of training. And we have a manager who oversees that and we validate them at certain areas throughout the, their training process. Um, we then put them with a veteran employee, whether it's a line cook or a server, depending on the position. They spend another week with that person. Uh, and then we sit them down before we kind of release them to the hounds and we give them a test. Um, we talk to them. What have, what, 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 where do you struggle? Where, where are you doing well? Where do you think you need more help? Um, we, we kind of always say communication is the best thing. We don't know what you know or don't know. You do. So tell us and how we can, how can we help you be a stronger server or line cook? So that's about an hour session. Um, and from there, we just kind of slowly um, start them out. If it's a server, they may start with a two table section and grow to a, a three or four or five table section over time as their level of comfort gets there. Um, if it's a line cook, we may start them off at a station that's a little bit slower with another veteran. So we really try to not throw people to the wolves, which in this industry um, is so common. And it's it how I learned it a lot of places. It's, mm -hmm. hey, here's the apron. Dinner rush starts at seven. Menu's up there. Good luck. Baptism um, by fire, James. <laughs> baptism by fire. We've all been there. And uh, yeah. we do everything at all costs to avoid that. And, and it does happen from time to time. Um, but we put a lot more time and energy into our training policies, practices, orientation, development, and education. Um, and the message that we try to get across to every new employee is no matter where you're coming in, it doesn't matter what level, whether it's a dishwasher like I started or a senior bartender who's got 25 years of experience, there's room for growth in our company. And if you work hard and you fit in and you do well and you become a team member, we will put a development plan together for you. And we check in with our employees. Where do you want them in three months? Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be in nine months? And we do everything we can to meet those goals so that our employees are seeing that there is a development and a growth plan for them. And I think that's very important to them. Absolutely. That's great. Let's talk about critical technology. Now, technology has varying levels in different types of organizations. Some restaurateurs embrace technology. Some have the very basic point of sale system and that's it. There's so much tech out there. There's so much software. There's back of house, front of house, online ordering. There's all this stuff. What have you found absolutely critical in your organization? So I'm one of those guys that's kind of right down the middle. I don't I don't shy away from it, but I also don't jump on the next newest thing every week that comes out. Um, we like to trust, but verify and really take a hard, deep look at some of these systems where we have found most of our efficiencies is in back of the house technology and inventory control systems, um, being able to go on at any minute and on my phone and pull up a check um, and then break the cost down, really see what the price of green beans was today versus yesterday, plus four mm -hmm. days from now. That's where we have found 
the best opportunities for us to control the inflation aspect we're dealing with, the cost of goods coming in the back door. Um, when it comes to the front of the house and the kind of user um, technology, we focus on how do we make our, our lives easier for our employees? So how do we make it quicker at the POS system for them? How do we make it quicker to run a credit card for them? Um, during the pandemic, we did transition to technology that the customers actually interface with. We had QR codes, we had iPads, we had things like that when, when we were kind of the whole world was figuring out whether or not you can touch anything. Of course. Um, and so we did go to that. We've since actually pulled that back. And what we found is that the majority of our clientele is, is requesting a physical menu a physical wine list. They want to go back to the way it was. They want to take their time and look at something instead of scroll on their phone. And so we've invested heavily in back of house technology and we've started pulling back in the front of the house technology. Um, and we're really taking our cues from our guests. We're, we're, we're really studying and watching and seeing what they want and what, 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 what makes them feel comfortable um, and I do think one of the challenges that we're, we all face and are going to face is that there is an age gap um, and the younger generations are much more comfortable with QR codes and they searching are. things on their phone mm -hmm. than some of the older generations like myself who wants to still look at a, a wine list. I'm like, so, you. you know, how do we find that middle ground and be able to offer every customer that comes in um, a comfort zone on how they want to see our offerings? And I'm, I think the jury's still out. I think some of the things that happened in the pandemic are here to stay. Mm, um, I agree. Third-party delivery, things like that, they'll never go away. I also think some things were just necessity and they'll phase out and some will go back to normal. Let's talk about menus. Have you had to pare your menus down, simplify, change, you know, maybe staples that have been on there forever? Does it change weekly based on these supply chain issues? Do you print menus regularly? Do you before that, was it just a seasonal change? How often did you change your menu and what's happening now? So prior to the pandemic, we did too many changes a year at all of our concepts. We did a spring, summer, and a fall, winter menu. Um, during the pandemic, we adjusted a lot more depending on availability of items, pricing, things like that. We just recently went back to our normal system of two menus. So we rolled out a fall, winter menu that we're wrapping up now and we're working on our spring, summer menu. We do print those menus, which is more costly, obviously, and and it's you're less nimble in having to change things. We have shrunk the size of them, but not significantly. One of the things that we pride ourselves um, is giving people a wide range of options, and that we think that's what drives some people in for us. Um, but we have had to shift to making certain menu items market price. Things with lobster and crab meat that used to have a price on the menu. We're now saying market price. We're verbalizing that to the guests. And when we get into those items, we're also trying to educate our employees to be able to tell the story as to why that's happening. So when, for instance, when jumbo lump crab meat went to $65, $70 a pound, and we sell a ton of crab cakes. Absolutely. In you're in Maryland. You're known for crab. We had to do it. We couldn't, we felt we couldn't take them off the menu. So what we did was we had educational classes for all of our employees to explain to them why the cost of crab meat is where it is, how long we expect it to be there. Um, what, and a lot of it for us in Maryland was uh, we didn't have the labor to pick the crab meat. So there's a massive labor shortage. And so it was the picking plants that were really being shut down. And so 
we we educated them on all that and they were able to to go to a table and say look I'm sorry, crab cakes are $48 tonight. Here's kind of why we're hoping that'll change soon. And people really understood that as opposed to just getting sticker shock and saying, these people are taking advantage of us or trying to charge $50. We really wanted to be able to have the staff be able to tell the story. Um, But I guess the last point of your question is we are in in an effort to try to get back to, to the level of normalcy of two menu changes a year. However, um, we are we are prepared to be nimble if we must. Um, and what we have done, you know, is done some small things. If something used to come with Brussels sprouts and asparagus, we may now say seasonal vegetables so that the chef has some flexibility depending on what's coming in the back door to 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 be able to do this. So we're we're finding little ways to to give us some flexibility and be nimble, but we're trying to we're trying everything we can to get back to the way it was. Now you've got a, quite a team surrounding you, experts in different org, you know, areas of the organization. You've got a culinary director, obviously, who's in charge of all the kitchens. You have a controller. Now that is a critical position in a restaurant group to maintain your margins, to be on top of every single, you know, food, beverage, labor costs, all that sort of thing on a regular basis, staying in the sweet spot of those things amidst a tumultuous restaurant industry and world. Right. So your team works together. Obviously, everything gets costed out. I'm sure you cost out every menu item, every special, all that sort of thing all the time. And does the chef have those skills unto himself, or I should say your culinary director working closely in conjunction with your controller? I mean, how does the finances work in relation to the kitchen, in relation to labor and staffing and scheduling and all those critical numbers that whether you've got one independent restaurant or you've got a hundred restaurants in a chain, all those things are critically important. How does it come together in your organization? Yeah. So I'll take that in pieces if I could. I think please do. First part, yeah. Yeah. As far as food costs is concerned. So we have an executive chef at every restaurant and then they report to my culinary director. Gotcha. So yeah. we, we roll out menus twice a year. We've caught they've already been costed out through our culinary director and our accounting team. Um, we look at procurement and prices. Obviously, there's no 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 exact science because a lot of the things on our menu are commodities, so they move. Beef moves, produce moves. So you're kind of taking an average and hoping that you're going to yeah, fall into the range. Exactly. Um, so we we cost them all out. We roll them out. Um, the 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 best thing that I've done from an operation standpoint over the years is we've created a very aggressive bonus structure for all managers across the company, which is 25% of their salary. So no matter how much money they make, they can earn an additional 25% and we pay it monthly. So they don't have to wait till the end of the year or the end of a quarter. Um, and, and it's a team effort. So their bonus based off food costs, liquor costs, payroll percentage, and gross sales. And what we found is that has really helped that team effort in controlling costs. Um, and so if the chef is off, and the bar manager's in the building, but a server's walking up and taking soup and eating soup, the bar manager still cares about that because he's bonused off of the food cost. And so everyone's kind of helping each other and watching each other's backs. And we made it very achievable. And so we pay out on average about 86% of the bon- of eligible bonus is achieved. Um, and so we get by in that way. It's not one of these things. And I've, I've worked for corporations that tell you, you're going to get this great bonus money. 
and then you, and, and you work really hard for three months and you just can't seem to get close to it and they dangle it out there and then you just give up. And once you give up, you stop absolutely. trying. You're absolutely so right. we wanted to find something that was that was achievable. And so we brought all the stakeholders in and we and we opened it up to them and we said, look, a bonus is not something that you just come to work and get. That's your salary. You've got to go a little bit above and beyond, but it's also got to be achievable. And we spent about three weeks coming to a consensus where we all walked out and said, is everyone comfortable and happy with this? Do we all agree on it? Um, and now they've been able to achieve it. And for me paying, you know, I, I think some people just assume, well, you don't want to pay bonus money. I love paying bonus money. It, it means we're hitting our costs. It means the businesses are profitable. It means my employees are happy. It means they're making extra money. So we found that sweet spot where it works for everyone. How That's often is that? The best yeah. How often is that evaluated, James? Do you do performance reviews twice a year for key managers? Do you do it for the entire staff? I mean, how does that work in the organization? So the bonus structure is evaluated monthly. And so oh, monthly. we look at all the costs and at the end of the month, at the 10th of the month, we send it all out to everyone and we send a check out with it. And so they're getting that every 30 days, which keeps them. Motivated. Oh, absolutely. Um, as far as annual reviews, we do semi-annual reviews. So we do January and July mm -hmm. it's, it's done with every salaried employee. And we do two reviews. We do a strict management review based on performance. And then we do a culture review. Um, and if they That's don't score above an 80% on either one of those, we assign four members of our corporate team to develop and work with them for 90 days. And then we re-review them. So we really don't give anyone an opportunity to slip behind because if they are slipping behind, it's like the, the, the private school tutors that come along to say, Hey, we got to help you here and get you where you need to be. Um, but we do two reviews a year. Um, and at that point, compensation is reviewed as well. And so we have an open conversation. When did you start? How long have you been here? What scores have you gotten? Is it time for a raise? We always ask them first, what do you think? Do you think you deserve a raise? Please tell us why. And some of them have great answers and some of them, you know, uh, have to think about it for a little bit, but we want, we want it to be more of a conversation. Yeah. Open dialogue, two-way street type thing. Absolutely. Let's make it a conversation as opposed to sitting in some corporate office and someone says, here's your raise or here's not your raise. You know, that's a great approach. You're a very hands-on guy, I can tell, but what do you spend most of your time doing as head of this you know, successful restaurant group? And how many hours would you say a week you're still working? And do you have an exit strategy? Three great questions. So I'm still um, in the 70 to 80 hour a week range. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a passion of mine. And um, I'm very driven right now as we grow the company. Um, my, my time is really split. I would say 50, 50 between my office working on, um, new leases, uh, my, my commercial realtor conversations, my attorneys, my CPAs, my architects, my engineers, all the stuff I didn't get into the restaurant business to, to do, um, is now taking up about half of my day. And the other half of the day is mentoring and developing the core leadership team around me of the 10 to 12 people. Um, and I'm out at the restaurants every week. I'm, I'm in every restaurant every week. Um, but I'm not as hands-on from a management perspective. If I see something, certainly I'll jump in, but I really get out to have conversations with people. How's it going? Are you happy? What do you like? What don't you like? 
you know, be a sounding board where I don't want to be a CEO they never see. Right? I don't want to be a guy in the office who they see a picture of. I want to be the guy in the restaurant that they feel comfortable having a conversation with me. So I force myself out of the office every day for three hours to hit the restaurants and have conversations. And then sometimes I'm here until midnight. Um, as far as the exit strategy is concerned, it's funny. I've told a couple people who have started restaurant companies in an effort to grow and sell them. I tell them all the same thing, which is if you build a phenomenal business, you don't have to worry about an exit strategy. It's going to come to you. You're going to have all the opportunity in the world. If you build a company for an exit strategy, you're never going to get out. And so I try not to think about, hey, what's the exit strategy? Who are we going to sell to? Who's going to come buy it? Instead, I tend to think about how do we grow gross sales? How do we get bigger? How do we get better at what we do? And then I can go to any number of options to have an exit strategy. But unless you build that and focus on that first, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I just think it's backwards thinking to, to think about the extra strategy before you've built the best company in the world that you can. And so I'm still focused on that mindset. Very good answer. Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about social responsibility and giving back and being community minded. You do a lot in those areas. Your different restaurants and your different management teams are involved in the community, but there is a social responsibility. Um, you have something called Titan Strong, which I'd like to hear about. Tell us about all that. So it's, it, one of our philosophies is that the individuals um, that keep us in business or the community, and if we don't give back to those people, you know, it's a big circle. And so um, we, we depend heavily on our local residents to come in and support us and take care of our staff. And so to me, it's just a no brainer. It's got to be a two way street. They come in and spend their hard earned money at our restaurants. We've got to give back to the causes that are important to them. And so we do everything from Little League to churches to theater groups, 501c3s. We rarely say no to anyone. We have Titan Strong, which is our charitable arm of the company. Um, people can go onto our website. They can fill out a form and kind of just tell us a little bit about their organization, why they need a donation, what they're looking for. Um, we review those on a weekly basis, um, and we always try to do something for everyone. Um, it was a little bit harder in the pand pandemic. We stopped for about 12 months and just kind of paused it and let everyone know that we will be back to doing what we did, but we just need to survive this and get through. And we started it back up about six months ago. Um, and so aside from kind of donation requests that come in, uh, we're very involved in the local food banks here. Um, that's a passion of mine is feeding people. Obviously, I love the restaurant business. I love to feed people. And not everyone can afford to come sit down at one of my tables. So we want to be able to feed everyone. Um, so we try to tie into those. Um, we love doing things around the holiday at the holiday drives. We buy Thanksgiving dinner uh, for over 100 local families that can't afford it. We do the same thing on Christmas Eve. Uh, we do toy drives. So we're, we really have someone in our office who actually handles 75% of that for us and is constantly looking for outreach opportunities for us. Um, and we think that it all gets paid back tenfold with those people spreading the word and word of mouth that we're a good corporate entity. We care about our community um, and they want to support us for that. So it's, a, it's really a good two-way street. And that's positive marketing as well. And not that you do it for a marketing reason, but that's just one of the benefits and byproducts of doing good, 
you know, doing good for others obviously does well for your restaurant group. So with that said, you know, word of mouth marketing is always the most effective and cost-effective marketing course, but do you have a regular marketing plan? Does that change? What types of marketing do you focus on that really delivers what I would say ROI? Because if yeah. you can't track something, then it's a waste of money in my book. You, you should be able to track what you're doing, but what's, what's been effective for you? And that's the most frustrating thing about part marketing because much of it really is difficult to track. Um, if you run a TV commercial, how do you know the guy came in because he started a TV commercial? You know, exactly. So we we partner with a great marketing firm, um, and we do it all. We do social media, obviously. We do television. Um, we run a couple TV commercials a year. I'm a big believer in that myself. I know a lot of advertisers have gone away from it, mm -hmm. um, but I really like it. We do some radio, um, and then we do print ad. Um, obviously we've spent a lot of time and energy and money on the social media side of it, because that's where a lot of consumers are these days. It is also less expensive. Um, but it's, it's also getting harder and harder because it's, it's getting noisier and noisier with more and more people doing stuff. It's harder to target to people. We spend on average about 3% of our gross revenues back into marketing. So it's a, it's a significant um, financial investment that we make. Um, we do a lot with video. Um, our marketing firm that we use is a phenomenal video company. So we do a lot of funny things. Um, we're doing a new suckling pig roast special at one of our things. And we've done some great video shoots of the pig on the spit and things like that. So we try to put things, we try to do as much as we can to let our guests visualize what our units look like, what the food looks like, what our people look like. Um, it's a huge focus. Each one of our general managers does a weekly marketing meeting with the firm. They talk about, hey, we'd like to improve happy hour or we'd like to grow lunch sales. And then the marketing firm puts a plan together. Um, and then we have a larger annual marketing plan company-wide that quite frankly, we probably tweak every month. You know, We set it out for the year, but as the year progresses and things happen, um, we tweak and adjust and put more dollars and allocate them to this and to that. And it's to me, it's got to be a, a very loose document that you've got to look at often and tweak and adjust often. Well, I'm particularly impressed with your website. I think it's very dynamic and it clearly sets an image and a brand behind it. But I've always believed that strong restaurant websites give the guest a very strong experience before they actually experience the restaurant. It gives you an impression of what your dining experience is going to be like before you even set foot in the restaurant for the first time. And your photography is beautiful and the layout of it. And it really gives you a good sense of what your concepts and brands are about. So I think that's a, a particularly strong job you've done there. Let me ask you, um, what's the future? What's next for Titan Hospitality Group? You got growth plans? Yeah, so we are um, we're in the process of growing now. We just signed a new lease to do another 10,500 square foot place in Columbia, Maryland, which is just about 30 minutes from here. Very excited. It's in a new entertainment district in downtown Columbia. So, uh, so that's the next kind of main focus. We're about to dive into architectural and design phase for that. And we hope to be open by the end of the year. Uh, so construction will start mid-summer. Um, and we're also looking um, to expand in the region, um, kind of, if you kind of draw a big circle around Washington, D.C. and Baltimore in that 50 to 75 mile radius is, is our immediate focus, is to kind of, that's our comfort zone. 
Um, and then uh, we're at about 32 million in gross sales right now. Our goal is to get to 50 million in the next three to five years. Um, and then once we get to 50, um, the plan is to look at the next five-year clip and say, how do we get to 75 million? And that probably means leaving our region and heading up and down the East Coast. Um, and so we're looking at, at doing that a couple of years away, but that's uh, kind of the short-term and long-term plan, if you will. That's That's great. I mean, it's always wonderful to have an existing operation that succeeds. You've got your core philosophies, your pillars, and then you can expand that to different concepts, maintaining those core philosophies. You mentioned earlier, one of the pillars was live entertainment. How much of that do you do and what type of entertainment are you offering? Yeah, it goes back to us wanting to create that total dining experience where people are coming out for more than just a meal. They can actually come have a meal, shift over to the bar and listen to a little jazz so each one of our concepts is a little oh, different, nice. but for the most part, we have live music on Friday and Saturday night at all of them. Mm-hmm. And then we do a live Sunday jazz brunch. I was going to um, ask if you did brunch. Really, yeah, it's, a, it's been a really popular thing for us. People love it. Um, and then throughout the course of the year, depending on the location and our outdoor facilities, we try to do some summer concert series things on our outdoor decks and our rooftop decks and things like that. So we may add Thursday nights on with acoustic music. So I would say it's... Um, Usually, you know, two to three nights a week, plus Sunday brunch in the in the um, summer, spring and summer months when the weather's nice. And then we maintain it all winter long on Friday and Saturday night indoors. That's terrific. Last question, James, whether you have an independent single location or you're running a small chain or even a larger chain, what's your best advice to operators that have been through the pandemic? They're currently still dealing with the labor crisis, but they're still standing, but they're pretty badly beaten up right now. It's like, what's the motivation to keep going and what's your best advice to them? Well, that's tough because I know it's very difficult on on everyone right now. And I I think ultimately it kind of goes back to why you got into the business, right? Yes, it's financially difficult. Yes, it's stressful. Um, But you got into the business, you own a restaurant because you care about people, you're passionate about hospitality, you want to take care of people, and that's never going to go away. And so if you stay focused on that, and if you stay focused on what keeps you happy, and try to put some of the stresses to the side, which is easier said than done, no doubt. Uh, But just remember why you got into the industry and what we talked about earlier with hospitality, continue to do that. The more you do that and the better you are with that, the more your other problems will go away because it will start driving more and more people back to your restaurant. That's fantastic. So your website is titanhospitality.com. You're an inspiration to this industry. You're doing great things out there. And there's been so many nuggets in this episode for operators that can just glean you know, little snippets of success and motivation and company culture. We've covered a lot of bases today. So I really appreciate you being with us. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you, James. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We thank our audience for tuning in. Stay well, everyone, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much, James, for being a great guest on our podcast. But most of all, thank you for sharing your expertise, your knowledge, but most of all, your passion for running restaurants and for hospitality. Thank you to our sponsors of this week's episode, Smithfield Culinary, Davo, and the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. And as always, thank you to our audience. We appreciate you tuning in and for the positive reviews you've been leaving us. We can't wait to see you in the next episode. Stay well, everyone. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road, and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. 
I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant. You want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy, and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.